0: Well, if I asked you what you thought the number one problem was that the early church was facing, what would you say? So we're digging into the book of Acts and we're seeing the early church right from the beginning. What would you say is the number one problem the early church was facing? Sexual immorality, persecution, lack of zeal, failure to impact the culture around them, what? What? Yeah, all of the above. Well, the answer might surprise you because it's not something we talk about a lot today. But if you read the New Testament, I think you would see clearly that the answer is false teachers and false doctrine. Because in almost every New Testament letter that you read, the writer will go after doctrinal issues and not just little nitpicky ones either. But they'll go after doctrinal issues that distort. ...or undermine the glorious, life-changing message of the gospel. Why? Why do they do that? Well, I hope you realize the reason they do is because getting the gospel right... ...and keeping it right is the key to getting life right. Not only this one, but also in the one to come. Turn to Acts chapter 15... Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they'd come up to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. These are Jewish believers. Rose up saying, oh, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember that? That was Acts chapter 10 when he went to the home of a Roman soldier, a centurion like we do not do this. And God had to show him a vision first to to convince him to change his thinking as a Jew. And he went and shared the gospel with that centurion and all his household and friends. It's been about 20 years since that happened. From Acts 10 to Acts 15. Verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of these disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... We shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Skip to verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now this is a long chapter that is basically a long theological debate, which is not something our culture has much tolerance for As we live in a world filled with bumper stickers that say things like coexist. Yes, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity and New Age crystals. What's the big deal? Why can't we all just get along and hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Why do we need to make any theological distinctions about anything? Well, I'll tell you why we need some theological distinctions. The big deal was that this debate is about the gospel itself. Which is the very heart of Christianity. So that if we get the gospel wrong, you guys, Christianity collapses in on itself and becomes nothing more than another religion. And Jesus did not take on flesh and come into our world to start another religion There was plenty of that. He came into our world to save people from their sins... and to do it in a way that had never been seen before... that makes Christianity unlike any other religion. Every other religion points outside of you... and tells you what to do to try to please the favor of God. Only Christianity has a God who takes on flesh comes into this world and does for us what we can never do for ourselves. It's about the gospel. And so that really, really matters. So what can we learn from this gospel debate in Acts 15 that would help us today? Here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, you should expect people to resist this message of salvation by grace alone. That's what's happening in verse one. And guess what? It's still happening today. Look at verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, these Jewish Christians. I hope you realize these are Jews who believe. They've believed in Jesus Christ and the message. But they still have some baggage. Big time baggage. These Jewish Christians are trying to promote a blended or hybrid hybrid mix of Jesus plus Moses, Jesus plus Moses. So that the gospel becomes nothing more than a continuation or a 2.0 upgrade of Judaism. Now, why would they do that? What's going on? Well, you got to appreciate, folks, we can't hardly appreciate as Gentiles. There may be a few Jews in here, but we're probably mostly Gentiles. You just cannot appreciate how hard this was for the Jews to fathom, fathom that Christianity and the gospel can stand alone and on its own With no need to hold on to the religious trappings and traditions of the Old Testament. That they had been so meticulously trying to keep for centuries. And maybe you're sitting here and you like tradition. I like tradition. What's the big deal, Brad? Why not hold on to some of all this and just add Jesus? Ooh, listen to me. The apostles put their finger right on what starts to happen when you go down the path of Jesus plus what I'm still trying to do. Look at how they summarize the problem in verse 24. Since we heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls. The Greek word for troubled right there in verse 24 is a word that means to make someone un. Easy, alarmed, fearful, and perplexed. Uneasy, alarmed, fearful, and perplexed. And that's why the verse goes on to say that it was unsettling to their souls. Folks, anything that moves you away from salvation by grace alone in Christ alone will be unsettling to your soul because your security night now depends on jesus plus whatever you're still trying so hard to do and it's that plus that will always be the wild card that will always cause you to be less than secure because you're never sure but what what is the plus do i have the right plus and am i doing it enough Am I doing it well enough? There's other people that are doing it better. Do I have it just right? Because you've introduced into the equation, you. That's always unsettling. It should be. The Greek word for unsettling is worth unpacking. It was a military term that talked about when someone goes into a town and dismantles it or plunders it. It was also a word that was used outside of the Bible in Greek literature to describe a financial bankruptcy. In other words, these Jewish Christians came swooping in on these new Gentile believers and without realizing it. I hope you realize they are believers. These that are rising up and saying this, they are believers. So without realizing it, they are plundering and dismantling the simple biblical understanding of the gospel that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Plus, nothing. say it louder! Nothing. Tell the world nothing. nothing. That is so hard for us. Surely it can't be that easy. Surely there's a reason it's called good news, you guys. Good news! Ah, oh, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, plus nothing. Listen to me, whenever the simple gospel gets dismantled in your life, it will rob you of joy and peace and freedom and security that can only come from knowing that the gospel is not Jesus plus anything that I'm still trying real hard to do. You see, when these Jewish Christians talked about circumcision, they were actually talking about The entire Levitical package, the entire package of Levitical and ceremonial laws from the Old Testament that were so complex, they couldn't even agree amongst themselves of what to do and when to do it and where to do it. They had rules and laws about what to wear, what to eat, what to touch, what not to touch, what days were holy, what days were not holy. So why would they want to lay this burden on new believers when... It's been so complicated for themselves. Well, these Jewish Christians still can't grasp that the rest of the world now, all the nations can come directly to Jesus without first becoming a Jew and trying to keep all the ceremonial laws that they've been working so hard to keep. And so I hope you realize we're learning more than one thing in this chapter Yes, this chapter is a critical and transitional chapter that tells us not only the place and priority of the gospel, but the place for all those ceremonial and Levitical laws in the Old Testament. Let me tell you the place for them. Done. Pile them up at the foot of the cross. Pile them all up at the, in front of the empty tomb. They are done. Because they were always pointing to and preparing us for something better. Not just something better, someone better. And his name is Jesus and he's come. And because he has come, all of this is done. Go ahead and eat shrimp, shellfish, pork to the glory of God. Mix your wool and linen. All of that. Was to remind the people God is holy. You can't just come trotting in. And and it was to keep his people a distinct people separate from others. Through whom he was going to bring the Messiah. That's what all of that was about. Since he has come. All of that is done. 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 But I hope you realize, while we don't have a lot of Christians who are Judaizers, every now and then you run into a Christian that still thinks they need to try to do all that. But I hope you realize the issue, the heart behind that, is still very much alive and well, and is a tendency today. You'll run into it. It might look different, but you're going to run into it this tendency to want to add to the gospel and to somehow put ourselves back into the equation, whether it's baptism. Well, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Whether it's church membership, whether it's lighting candles, whether it's burning incense, whether it's giving some money, or whether it's keeping a list of do's and don'ts that you somehow think makes you more righteous than someone else. And so never mind the Judaizers in Acts 15. Let me ask you, what about you today? Do you have a Jesus plus mentality in your own life? And maybe you don't even realize it, but let me help you here. If you do, it could be the reason that you stay so unsettled in your own soul so much of the time and never have true security and assurance, and always still feel so burdened, and wonder why you don't have the kind of joy and peace it seems like some other Christians have, let me help you here, whenever you have a plus mentality, it will plunder your security, you want more security, you want more freedom, you want more joy and peace, drop the plus, and settle into fully who Jesus is, and what he has done once And for all for you that never needs to be repeated. That's why he said from the cross. It is halfway done. You do the rest. What did he say? It is. is. Say it again. The payment for our sins was done. And the fulfillment of all in the Old Testament was done. He has come. And it is done. Oh my goodness, that's why Christianity is unlike any other religion. It's about a relationship with a living Savior now, not a list of rules, not the law breathing down your neck, not threats and guilt and shame, but freedom and joy and peace and power because that risen Savior is not out there somewhere. He lives in you. Lives in you. There's a second thing I want you to get from this chapter. Number two, don't just be ready and expect resistance. Be able to defend. Be able to defend salvation by grace alone and not, oh, my pastor's good at this. Email him. I want to be good at this. I want you to be good at this. There's no secret here, folks. I want you to be ready and able to defend salvation by grace alone. Look at how Paul and Barnabas responded to this situation where people were adding to the gospel. You can see it in verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. I want you to realize we just read that quickly. Folks, Paul and Barnabas were busy. They were in the midst of a missionary campaign. They were going from town to town. Lives are at stake. People are lost. We got this brand new message of hope and freedom in resurrected Jesus Christ. They're going back through cities where they've preached to strengthen and make disciples. This is a young church. This was important enough to them that they hit pause you realize Jerusalem's 300 miles away from Antioch. It took them about 3 months probably to make that journey, but they thought it was important enough right now in the life of the early church. This is number 1. We're going to stop even trying to preach and reach people for Christ and we're going to settle this. Oh, what might have happened if they hadn't taken the time to settle this and keep this clear so that Christianity not get off the rails and become just Like any other religion. The Greek word for dissension right there in verse 2. Is a word that means to investigate and examine something carefully and thoroughly. Because the issue at stake is critical. Carefully, thoroughly investigate it, examine it. And the word for dispute is a word that means to stand firm or take a position even if it causes an uproar. Do we not live in a day where it's like, okay, go ahead and believe in God if you want, even have your own thoughts about it, but oh, tolerance, tolerance, don't rock the boat, don't make waves, don't take a stand and cause an uproar. Now please hear me, I watch Christians sometimes take a stand, whether it's in person or on the internet, that is so unnecessary over things you shouldn't be taking a stand but folks, that doesn't mean there's never a time. Save it. Save it. And even when you do take a stand, we're talking about a gracious, spirit-filled, loving, quiet, but will not back off stand. Not vain standing out in the throat. Not calling someone a faggot. Not name-slinging. Not hate. If that's you, get out. Let someone else to do it. But we're to take a stand and a position even if it causes an uproar on the things that matter. The gospel matters. Lives are at stake. Heaven and hell is the issue. It matters. It matters. They took a stand. Paul and Barnabas were willing to take a stand even to the point of causing an uproar if necessary. Because what was at stake was the very heart of Christianity. Because it was this message ...of the gospel. And so if you read the whole chapter... ...for the sake of time I skip some... ...you'll see that the council concludes... ...there is no need... ...for any new believers... ...to be circumcised... ...or to keep the law of Moses... ...in any way to be saved. But then we've got this verse... ...it's in verse 20 and it's in verse 29... ...that can be confusing... ...because it sounds like they just concluded... ...you don't have to do any of this to be saved... ...but then they say... ...oh by the way in the letter... Please just do this. What's going on? In verse 29, when you see that. So you might have the question, it seems like they just sent them back to the law when they said you don't need to go to the law to be saved. It's a message unto itself that I can't chase. But I'll tell you this, it's the same thing as what's going on in Romans 14. When we preached the book of Romans, I gave you an entire 55-minute message on this. What they're doing right here is they're not saying... Gentile believers need to keep a slice of dietary Jewish law in order to be saved. They're saying, they're obligating Gentile believers to do everything you can to promote unity and love in this brand new church. And to be sensitive to Jewish believers who are struggling. This is what they've always been taught and thought. It's going to be very offensive to them. So lay aside some of your rights and your freedoms and prefer a Jewish brother, or sister when you're in certain settings. Does that make sense? So is it necessary for salvation? Absolutely not. But some of this, since the church is so new, if you know they're sensitive and they just still can't quite grasp, don't flaunt your freedoms. Don't eat pork in front of them. Don't spit out shrimp shells right on their feet and sandals. Love, unity, lay down some of your freedoms For the sake of unity and love in the church. If you want more, get online and listen to Romans 14. It's about Christian liberty versus love. And how the church is to love each other. But let me move it back to the issue today. Let me move it back to the issue of salvation by grace alone. Do you know how to defend this issue of salvation by grace alone? Apart from the law. Apart from works. Apart from religious traditions. Where would you go? Where would you go in the Bible? See, I hope you realize this is not the last time this is going to be issued. This whole issue dies hard and slow in the human heart. So this this comes up again to the point that Paul writes an entire letter to address this issue. And it's his strongest letter where he uses his strongest language and takes off the gloves and expresses shock and dismay... That Christians so easily and quickly move from Jesus alone back to the law. What book of the Bible am I talking about? Galatians. Oh, listen to me. The Bengals are 0 and 7. You don't need to watch that game today. <laughs> read the book of Galatians. You can read Galatians in like 35, 40 minutes. Read. If you've never sat down and read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting, do it today. At least this week, I want to encourage you, read the whole book of Galatians. It is so good. It will bless you. But now, as any good di in a fine restaurant, I am going to walk you through the sampler platter of salvation by grace alone in Galatians. I've got a white towel on my arm. I'm going to serve up just a foretaste, just a little appetizer. Go to Galatians. Since some of you won't do what I told you to do, you're going to get it now. (laughs) I want to whet your appetite. It is so good. Go to Galatians. Let's jump in at chapter 1. We're going to dip into some of this amazing salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, plus not the law, not tradition. Don't go there. There's no freedom there. Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel. I marvel. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who, same word we got in Acts 15, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. Pretty strong anathema to them. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be a curse. Skip to chapter 2, verse 16. Two sixteen, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith. In who? Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by what? Faith in Christ and not... The works of the law for by the works of the law, how many people will be made right with God? No flesh shall be justified. Skip to verse 19. You say, well, then Brad, what's the point in the law? Why did he give us the law? He's about to tell you, for I through the law died to the law. Folks. Without the law, we don't know we're a sinner. This shows us how we fall short. This shows us we need a Savior. He gave us the law not to save us, but to show us because we're so prideful. We always think, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Here's the law. Ooh. And so the law brought him to a point of death and seeing his own sinfulness. But then when he trusted in Christ, he died to that for through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By trying to keep the law. No, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, it doesn't. Then Christ died in vain. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The Greek word is literally who cast a spell over you, who cast a spell over you. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Skip to verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. Folks, all the law brings, the law doesn't bring life, it brings a curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse. For us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christianity and life in Christ, folks, is not the law outside of you breathing down your neck and shaming you or guilting you or threatening you into living a good life. It's Jesus Christ and his spirit living inside of you, empowering you to live differently. That's what makes it so radically different than Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. Every other religion gives you a list, points you outside of yourself and says, do this, do this and do it hard. Christianity says you could never do this. That's why I did it for you. And when you put your trust in me, I will come into your life and forgive you and then empower you to live perfectly? Differently? Yes. 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 We might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Skip to verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? So he knows his hearers are starting to say, is the law bad? Do we not need the law? What's the role of the law? Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. The law shows us all to be sinners who fall short. Scriptures confined all under sin that the promise by what? Do you see a word that's getting repeated a lot? By faith. Do you see a person that's getting repeated a lot? Faith in who? What you can do? Say it. Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came. Oh, look at this. I love this. He's going to tell you what the law was doing. Here's why we have the law. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith. But after faith has come, we, are no, long, we no longer need a tutor or are under a tutor. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. In Christ Jesus. Your hope for living radically different. Is not to go back to the law you guys. You say but. You might be feeling it or thinking it right now. But what's going to keep us from just like going crazy. Doing whatever we want. Living wild. If we knew we were totally forgiven by grace. And through faith. And we didn't have to. Folks, when you are born again and God's spirit is in you, you don't want to live wild and loose and see how hard you can chase after sin. It breaks your heart that you still sin, but you wake up every day wanting to pursue holiness and live for Jesus You're not trying to earn anything, but your heart has changed. Your desires have changed and you have a new power you never had before to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And it's all about what God has done inside of you, not threatenings on the outside of you. So he begins to address if you're thinking, but but what do we have? What do we have if it's not the law? He says you have a new law, the law of love and a new power resurrection power holy spirit living in you look at what he starts to do beginning in in chapter 5 stand fast therefore in the liberty which christ has made us free do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage don't go back to the law verse 4 you've become estranged from christ you who attempt to be justified by the law you have fallen from grace verse 13 for you brethren have been called to liberty yeah you're free But don't take that liberty and just chase after your sin. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You remember when the religious leaders from the crowd yelled out and said, Jesus, we've gotten confused. Yeah, they had. What's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it. Love your... Jesus says, let me simplify it for you. As Christians, it's simpler. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you truly loved your neighbor as yourself, it would take care of all that other stuff. And you've got His Spirit in you. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 16. I say then... Go back to the law and make sure you hold on to it. Nope. I say then, walk in the Spirit... and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Look at verse 22. He's going to tell you what the Spirit of God in you starts to do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering... kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law... And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And that word walk is not the same one that he already used in verse 16. It's a different one that literally was a military term that meant keep in step. If we're led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You've got the Spirit of God in you. Be filled with the Spirit So that he's your biggest influence and keep in step with him. He will lead you to live differently. He will lead you to love others. He will lead you to forgive. He will lead you to lay down your so-called rights. He will lead you to take up a bowl and towel and live radically different in this world. The spirit of the resurrected Jesus Christ lives in you. Listen to him. Be led by him. Keep in step with him. That's what we have as Christians, this radically different. We don't need the threats of the law, the guilt of the law, the condemnation of the law to live the Christian life. You needed that to recognize you need a Savior. And after you know the Savior, you just need more of the Savior. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, a new power, a new love. So let's unpack this salvation by grace alone. Yes, take somebody to the book of Galatians, read it today, get a hold of that. But let me give you, if if we want to be ready to defend salvation by grace alone, let me show you what some of the distinctions of salvation by grace alone are because in verses 8 to 11 of our chapter, he unpacks some of the key distinctions and elements. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, salvation is a change of heart that changes who you are, you are a child of God now. I know our world loves to hold hands at every rock concert, raising money for farmers in need, and say that we're all children, we're all the children of God, we're all the children of God, news alert. We're all image bearers created in His image, but until you're born again by the Spirit from above, by putting your faith in Christ, you are not a child of God. You're an enemy You have to be born into God's family. So when you put your trust in Christ, oh, it's not something on the outside that's been done. It is what changes on the inside. He gives you a new heart, takes out the heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh, and changes your identity from enemy to child of God. Adopted son and daughter with a robe of righteousness. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are new. He didn't mean all your struggles are gone. Your identity has changed from enemy to child of God. From condemned and rejected to accepted. And it's all on the basis of someone else and not you. Therefore, it can't be taken or shaken. Say, thank you, Lord. Oh, this is so different. Look at verse eight. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. It's a change of heart. They're saying these Gentiles had a change of heart. How do we know? That word acknowledged was the word martyreo that meant to bear witness or testify and give first hand authentication and affirmation to someone. Do you realize what verse is saying? Verse 8 is saying? God himself bore witness and testified and gave first hand affirmation and authentication that these Gentiles were now children of God apart from circumcision apart from ceremonial laws apart from ever trying to become or be a Jew because he gave them his spirit, and they are children of God. An internal heart change. That's why Paul said in his letter to the Romans, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear again. The law is bondage and leads to fear. But the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, And he uses an Aramaic term, Abba, that doesn't mean, oh, Father, but literally meant Papa, Daddy. We can call the holy God who spoke all the universe into being and has the right to throw us all in hell. We can call that God, Papa, Daddy. Wow. Child of God now. Radical new relationship and identity. But look at what's happening in verse 9. Salvation is an act of faith that purifies the heart, cleanses you, and forgives you of all your sin. Verse 9, purifying their hearts by faith. Folks, all the Levitical and ceremonial laws were focused on trying to clean the outside, but could never cleanse or purify. The filth of our heart and darkness of our hearts. But when we come to Christ in faith, He gives us a new heart and cleanses us on a heart level and forgives us not some, but all of our sins. But look what's going on in verse 11. Salvation is a gift of grace that you can only get through God's Son. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Here's what I think is worth noting. Notice anything unusual about the word order that Peter uses there to drive home that we're saved through grace, grace alone in Christ alone. He doesn't say these Gentiles can be saved by God's grace, just like we are. He could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he said, we, the Jews, God's chosen people who've been given his law and through whom the Messiah actually came into this world. We, Jews, can be saved by grace just like these Gentiles. Oh, you guys, that rocked. His listeners, they've spent their whole lives thinking there is nothing like a, of a Gentile that I need to become like at all. They need to become like us. They need to become like us. And so Peter turns this thing on his head and actually says, there is hope for you Jews to become like these Gentiles. You can be saved by grace alone, just like they are. That's why now when you read Galatians today, instead of watching football, you'll see him say there is now neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. He's not saying gender doesn't matter. God made us distinct. He's saying as far as salvation. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, black, white, whosoever will may come and be saved freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's this new message that rocked their world. And oh, by the way, though the media doesn't want to talk about it, is still rocking our world salvation a free gift because of jesus christ not based on us or anything we've done or who we are or what we've merited but i want you to see what's going on in verse 10 because verse 10 shows us that salvation is a relationship with jesus that forever changes your relationship to the law look at what he says now therefore Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? And here's what I love. Which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. See, the Jews kept going back to the law and all that. And yet they never did it well. They never did it. He's saying, don't send new converts back to a system of do's and don'ts that we couldn't bear and our forefathers couldn't bear. They have a savior now. Start with the savior. Stay with the savior. He's given you his spirit. That's why Jesus. Listen, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you a brand new list. I will send you back to the law. I will give you what? (sighs) Now, it's interesting. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's what's going on. We still, it's it's not the law. Don't yoke up to the law. It leads to bondage and fear. But you are yoked up. When you become a Christian, you're yoked up with Jesus. That's why he said, take my yoke upon me and learn. They would take a seasoned older ox and would yoke him up with a young buck that still wants to do stupid stuff. And that young one would learn from that old one. Behave, he's going to poke you in the buttocks if you don't behave. Just pull the wagon. Don't kick it, don't trash it, pull it. Jesus is saying, Take my yoke. I know you got problems. You still have all kinds of messed upness in your life. Learn from me. And then, oh, by the way, if you're thinking, will will he be in a hurry? Is he harsh? Is he? For I am gentle. Is that not great? And humble. You are yoked to a gentle, humble, loving Savior who already gave his life for you and rose again. And now he will live with you and help you. He'll be more patient with you than others around you by far. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find, there's the word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. That word easy in the Greek literally meant a good fit. It's a good fit. It's a good fit. You and Jesus are yoked. If you're a Christian, you are yoked to Jesus. He wants to teach you this thing about the Christian life. He'll go with you. And he'll be gentle. He'll be humble. And he'll give you rest. Because you'll know it's not about you. You don't have to earn his favor. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Oh, when you come to Christ, listen. Yeah, the burden of your sin is lifted. But the burden of the law that we could never keep is lifted. Don't go back. Don't go back. You start with Jesus, you stay with Jesus. It's more of Jesus that you need. As we close, let me show you something that Paul did often and did really well. We got the Gospels where you can see the crucifixion and you can see the account of the resurrection. But there are things that we would never know unless we had the epistles that unpack and give explanation. So Paul in Colossians chapter 2, go there. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, tells us what was happening on the cross that the people standing at the foot of it could not see with the naked eye. You would not have seen this or known this is what was going on. You could have seen his beaten body. You could have heard him gasp and cry out and say, I thirst. But you would not have seen with your eye this. But this is what was transpiring in that moment. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Thirteen And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. You realize there was a list of all your sins, your debt to God, your sin debt to a holy God. And on the cross, he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us us and he's taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it in that moment Satan and all the spiritual forces of darkness thought they had won the promised one is dying where did he triumph over them where did he make a public spectacle of him when three days later he rose from the dead just as he said conquering death and sin and Satan that's what was happening On the cross and in the resurrection. So here's why Paul goes on to say in Colossians 2.16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Which are a shadow of things to come. All of that was just a shadow of things to come. Oh, key phrase. But the substance is Of Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I know sometimes the church has made it so confusing. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't dip. We don't watch raw rated movies. Just Push all that off the table for a minute. Christianity is not about what we don't do. It does change our lives. Christianity is this free offer. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't get a list and say, as soon as I do this. Come. To Christ today. Today he's still saying. Come to me. All who are weary. And burdened. Your sin will burden you. The guilt of your sin and the law will burden you. And all that burden. Was meant to bring you to the point. Where you say. I can't. Some of you are still saying. Oh but I can. And so some more things are going to have to happen to you. But if you're here and you're weary. And you're burdened. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Oh, is it that easy, Brad? Well, it's that simple. Here's what's not easy. It is hard laying aside your own sense of righteousness. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Yeah, you're that bad. You're worse than you know. So you will have to come to the point where you say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Put your faith in Christ surrender to him, submit to his lordship, call him Lord and say, here's my life, take it, all of me, right as I am, all the mess, and he will meet you right where you are. And then he won't leave you as you are. He'll yoke up with you and you can learn from him and his spirit will be in you and you can be led by the spirit, walk in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, And he'll begin to change you from the inside out instead of outside in. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for a savior. Thank you for your word that addresses some of our most difficult, confusing points that we could never sort out if we didn't have the truth of your word. Thank you for not just saving us, but keeping us and helping us. Oh, God, may we be ones that are able to stand firm and to take a position in salvation by grace alone and to rest in it and have peace and joy and freedom and security and then communicate that great hope to those around us. Settle us and then use us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.